That is not food! Uh, my goat is turning green, like, literally, green. That critter was just here. That critter was just here. Roger that, this here's control. We rate you, keep calm, and remain on the goat frequency. Howdy, friends and neighbors. As all good ranchers know, when you're out in the North 40, you're gonna want to keep an eye on your goats. I'm Bertha Long Jones. What do we have this week, Lennon? In this week's Straw Talk, we'll tell all of y'all about the best alfalfa blends to give your goat a shiny coat. In KID News, we bring you the latest updates from... Hey, guys, guys. I'm going to have to shut this down. We got a letter signed by PETA and the Royal Society for Protection of Cruelty to Animals and the Wichita Humane Society. Uh, uh, okay, Dear Goat Frequency, under 28 U.S.C., Section 65, Paragraph A, Subparagraph Romanet Number 4, and Central County Ordinance 3665.95, and da, 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 okay. oh, oh, uh, uh, well, guys, apparently if we record and release our Goat Frequency podcast, they're going to turn us into the authorities for animal cruelty. What? Sorry, guys. But, but I haven't written any show notes. We didn't. If we can't do goat frequency, we're not going to have a show. Uh, well, can I at least do my song, please? I'll tell you. Don't worry. I'm just going to go to the piano now. <coughs> Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Here's a little number we tossed up recently in the Magnus system. Isn't it awfully nice to have a hornet? Isn't it frightfully good to have a scythe? It's fun to own a fighter, it's swell to own a ship, from the tiniest little tanker to the world's biggest frigate. So three cheers for your Connie or your Cutlass. Hooray for your Aurora or Mustang. Your Freelancer, your M50, your Avenger former cop. You can take it bounty hunting, you can make a trading hop. But don't get shot down in the grinder or they'll melt you into slop and you won't. Again, back. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. My portrait thrusters won't stop firing. I think I'm being followed. My dad is turning green, like literally green. My last nav check put me at the range point four. This is control. Be radio. Keep calm. And remain on the guard frequency. Greetings, citizens. and sis. You're tuned into the guard frequency. As all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This is episode 16 and recorded live on March 29th and made available for download April 1st at guardfrequency.com. I'm Jeff. I'm Lennon. And I'm Tony. What do we have this week, Lennon? In this week's Squawk Box, we found out what y'all are flying in the verse. In CIG News, we bring you up-to-the-minute coverage of everything that's happening around the UEE, featuring our weekly crowdfunding update, the latest in-universe fiction, and the first hiatus episode of The Next Great Starship. In this week's Nuggets for Nuggets, we bring you everything that we know about the gunship being designed for The Next Great Starship. And then we bring you the next installment in our series of interviews, this time featuring Mark Skelton and David Ladyman. Finally, we tune our dars into the feedback loop and let you join in in the conversation. Sits and says we are always on the lookout for talented individuals to come join the crew here at Guard Frequency. So if you've got the creative itch and you want some help scratching it, we'd love to hear from you. 
Drop us an email with your experience and what you'd like to do for us to squawk at guardfrequency.com. Please remember that all positions here at Priority One are voluntary. This is a labor of love, but we look great on a CV or resume. That takes care of the housekeeping, so let's get to the show and see what's coming through the squawk box. Any of you boys need a carrier around here? Uh, everything's under control. Situation normal. This week's school books comes to us courtesy of Reddit. There was a poll that was recently put on the Star Citizen subreddit asking people what ships do they own and what ships do they see themselves flying once the game is released. So we thought we'd bring you our rundown of the various stats and figures. Now, a little bit of a warning up front. Obviously, this is just a poll that has been created by a fan of the game, a user. It doesn't represent the entire spectrum of backers for Star Citizen. But there are a lot of interesting statistics nonetheless. For example, out of all the people that took part in this survey, the ship that the most people have actually bought is the Connie, with a total of 14% of the overall votes. And this also ranks very well with the what ship do you think you will be flying in the verse, as opposed to what ships you actually own. The Connie also came out on top there as well. So, gents, have you had a chance to look over these stats yet? And what are your thoughts? I looked over the pretty bar graphs and the pretty pie charts, and what struck me as interesting is that you know, it's Reddit, right? So these are people that are going above and beyond even going to the RSI forums to get additional information about the game. They're also talking to other people in other forums. That means these people are active, right? High degree fanboys. The Connie was up on top. No surprise there. But what kind of struck me as interesting is how poorly the Scythe did. Not a lot of people answered that they were flying a Scythe. I mean, I know the Scythe isn't common, but, you know, those early backers, those people that were sort of hot on the trail and, and interested in doing it, they're not here you know they're not showing up here and also the different varieties of the hornet the f7cm which is that's Mm -hmm. the military version that one did quite well almost as good as the freelancer which was hot on the heels of the uh, Mm -hmm. constellation so there's a lot of people that are going to be flying the millennium falcon and a lot of people going to be flying the x-wing have you read seen or heard something you think might be interesting to other citizens or civilians send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com but for now let's check out some cig news 175 Port Bay, hands on approach. Checkers green, call the ball. Don't get technical with me. Our crowdfunding update for March 29th, 2014 is $40,931,000. Guys, $69,000 to go. Not even seventy grand, and you're going to make us wait for another letter from the chairman? I mean, honestly. I mean, where's your, where's the love? Where's the generosity? I, I just don't know. We are down to nearly 4,000 slots left. I mean, we are just about out of alpha slots, kids. And if you have not gotten yours yet, time is running out. You have about, let's see, well, as I'm checking this now, just under 4,000, 3,999. We are scraping the bottom of the barrel. Get yours while they're hot. And we're just over 416,000 registered users creeping up slightly again. Not as fast as usual, but just wait. Come April 10th, the masses are coming. And like Tony said, because we haven't broken through another barrier, we don't have a letter for the chairman. What we do have, however, is a little bit of news related to Star Citizen, although not directly. As you would have no doubt heard by now, Facebook has bought Oculus Rift for $2 billion. Now, to say there has been a lot of rage about this would be a huge 
understatement. There have been lots of angry responses from early backers on Kickstarter who want refunds. Several gaming notables and gaming celebrities have spoken out, particularly Notch, the creator of Minecraft. He went ahead and cancelled a deal to make Minecraft support for the Oculus Rift after hearing of this acquisition. To quote Notch, we were in talks about maybe bringing a version of Minecraft to Oculus. I just cancelled that deal. Facebook creeps me out and I did not chip in 10 grand to seed a first investment round to build value for a Facebook acquisition. Wow. Yeah. No doubt you have all experienced some of the rage on the forums. No doubt you've got your own opinions about this, but we feel it would be a little bit remiss of us here to not cover it. So the main question that we have to ask, of course, is how does this affect Star Citizen? Will those using Oculus Rift be having to have ads in-game? that are going to be completely outside of CIG's control with the data mining that's then going to be taking place with the adverts that go in there because it will likely have to be connected to your Facebook system. Would this take information from the game itself? Would this then lead to breaking the EULA being an unauthorized third-party plugin? Obviously, right now, none of these details are known because the acquisition has only just been announced. However, we kind of feel we need to go a stage further and ask, what does this actually mean for virtual reality as a whole? The Facebook acquisition is one that a lot of people didn't really see coming and a lot of people feel that Facebook is a very strange match for Oculus Rift. You know, why not a company like Microsoft? Why not a company like Satek? What does Facebook really have that they can bring to the virtual reality table? Well, one thing that they can bring, naturally, is a massive cash injection. Two billion dollars. That is not a small amount of money. Star Citizen has raised, what, 50 times less than that? What this does mean, though, is that with a massive cash injection, it will allow Oculus Rift to perfect the technology, which then maybe will open up the market for someone like Valve or someone of a bigger, uh, I hate to use the term hardcore, but one of those more hardcore gaming companies to actually break into the market, taking on board everything that Oculus Rift has done, so we might have lost our front runner, but I don't think that this really counts out virtual reality. And there are also other options that you have like track IR and so on and so forth. That's my opinions on it. Gents, what did you think of this when you heard the news? Well, so Facebook's acquisitions, I do not like Facebook. I, let me point that out. But they have in Instagram and WhatsApp, they've, they've kept hands off so far. We don't know what's going to happen. The speculation that there's going to be advertisements and data mining is just that. It's just speculation. So, I mean, this could be good for Oculus Rift. It also could make it affordable for more people than the pricey upstart that they were going to start with. So I'm playing the wait-and-see game. Yeah, one of the founders of Oculus went on Reddit the next day. It seemed like the PR handlers had sort of cut him loose. The first response that was out there was very, very controlled. It was a very, very corporate-speak sort of response. But the next day he was out there on Reddit answering questions. The vibe he was sending was that they're still an independent company, like Jeff's pointing out, similar to the WhatsApp strategy. They're just going to own it. They're not going to do anything to manage it, but they just want to be in charge of it. I would think that in the short term, that would be the smartest thing for Facebook to do because it's still trying to prove itself. You know, it's still being developed. Let the guys developing it develop it. Then when it's perfect and ready to go and been widely adopted by everybody and it's the greatest thing ever, then you come in and you ruin the whole thing because then everybody's addicted to it. Everybody's used to it. It's been accepted as a consumer device. You know, your life is better for it. It's a wonderful thing. Everyone has one in their living room. That's when you sort of, you know, pull the trigger and go, hey, guess what? Brought to you by Carl's Jr. I think that's probably how it's going to wind up turning out. The short term, it's still going to be a great fun toy. It's still going to be a gamer's dream for the companies that are still going to develop for it. Maybe CIG is one of them. 
haven't heard from it, but we did see in uh, a certain video that was released this week, Chris Roberts hadn't taken his Oculus Rift off. Well, with all the drama surrounding the Oculus Rift and the recent Facebook acquisition, we want to hear your thoughts. Is this the worst thing that could have possibly happened to virtual reality? Or is this a development that you like? Yeah, no, I didn't write this stuff. <laughs> that was great. How do you think this will impact Star Citizen? Let us know your thoughts by commenting on this show's post over at GuardFrequency.com or on our post in the Robert Space Industries fansite subforum. Another lore entry gives us a sneak peek into what's to come in game. Showdown, hospitals under siege, introduces us to the potentially murky waters of private medical care. And sometime paying the extra few credits to get patched up officially might help keep the Grim Reaper just a few extra steps back. You know, rather than inviting him in for some tea and crumpets. But with so many medical professionals out there, how do you know who you can trust? The crew at Cloud Imperium Games let us in on a little behind-the-scenes fun in this special hiatus version of the next great starship. First, we're brought a very brief rundown of the new SciTech X-55 Rhino, and then everyone from Chris Roberts to Sandy Gardner tells us the specs of their computer and what they'll be using to control their ship in the verse. Several members have opted for a keyboard mouse, but there are a couple of HOTUS users in the crowd. And then there's Chris Roberts, Oculus Rift, SciTech X-55 Rhino, keyboard, this guy is going all out, seriously. Finally, we check in on the teams to get a brief update on their progress, with most of them having incorporated the judges' feedback and making tweaks to their designs, further refining their concept models. Next Great Starship will return on April 18th. The Idris Corvette is dead. Long live the Idris Frigate. The team at Foundry 42 are continuing to innovate and improve on the ships that we'll be seeing in Squadron 42, and then eventually in the Persistent Universe. The early game of Squadron 42 needs you to be in a smaller capital ship, and so the Idris fit the bill perfectly. However, the team then soon discovered that it was just a little too small of a capital ship, as it wasn't capable of housing the multiple Hornets that they needed for the mission. So, what's the team to do when you need a bigger ship? Well, you just make the ship bigger, a full hundred meters longer, in fact. Of course, that then put them in the somewhat sticky position of the ship being now just a little bit too big to be called a corvette. So, as we already said, long live the Idris frigate. As part of the redesign, the Idris will also be coming with a utility ship. We reported on the confirmation of this in last week's episode, but now we're given a little more insight and are treated to some work-in-progress concept shots. So, have you guys had a chance to check out the redesigned Idris? Oh, yes. Oh, I'm, I'm drooling for this ship. Did you, yeah. Have you bought an Idris yet, Jeff? No, I have not. I'm going to have to sell some vacation back to the company to purchase this. But you are going to purchase one, yes? I, I will hope eventually, too, yes. <laughs> That's yeah. not a no, Jeff. That's yeah. not a no. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I'm going to have to take out a third mortgage or yeah. something, I mean, like I said. In order to promote the show, I have subscribed. I'm chipping in my 10 bucks a month, and I have access to the Jump Point magazine. And oh my god, it is incredible. What they have done to bring the smallest of capital ships to life is pretty impressive. And this is what they're willing to release to us in the pre-pre-pre-pre-pre-alpha state, right? So I can only imagine what the finished project is going to look like. They know where the infirmary is, you know, where the armory is, you know, where the torpedo room is, you know, where the crew restroom is, you know, where the bridge is. The captain's got his own quarters. I mean, they've said, we're going to make a little ship and make it real. What do we need to do to fly the ship around? It's outstanding. And yes, everyone has to have one now. You have to have one. You can't not have one. It's awesome. Which brings me back around to a point we've made repeatedly on the show, guild housing. 
these things have got to be achievable in the game. So far, the model that they put out there is you can find it in the universe, and if your guild or your lone scout or whoever can get on board it, get it started, and get it back to safe space, and you can rebuild and refurbish it. No. No, 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 no. That model went out the door when they put this revamp out there. This has got to be something everybody can work to achieve. And it's only good business sense. Let people spend lots of time and money in the game to build these things. Do it. They won't regret it. Well, to be fair, we haven't seen anything else in the frigate class yet. So it could be that whilst the Idris is going to be a discoverable ship, that they might have a comparable model, which would be a guildhouse. I can certainly see something like that happening. Yeah, I mean, but they need to have capital class ships be manufacturable. That needs to be part of the manufacturing system. They need to scale that up. It's got to be done. You can't put something like this out there and then not make it something that can be done within the confines of regular play of the game. Let me use this as an example. Remember uh, the original Star Wars Galaxies when you could not be a Jedi unless you found the holocrons? Yep. yep. Okay. Oh, yeah. I think maybe some people liked that mechanic or whoever, and those people were the ones that found the holocrons. Do you know what that did to me? I never played Star Wars Galaxies. I read that that was the mechanic and you couldn't be a Jedi unless you found the super, super, super deal. I said, eh, never mind. Not going to play that. You put this dangly thing out there and you say, well, you can't have one unless you either join the special guild that has one of them or if you find it yourself. No, no. If I can't do the things I want to do by being a regular player of the game and doing the things that I want to do in the universe, if the things that I want aren't achievable by just showing up and playing, I don't want to play. They need to make this a mechanic. They really do. Well, that was my two cents. What are your thoughts on the Idris Corvette? Uh, excuse me, Idris Frigate. Now that the Idris is a frigate, is she OP? Is she too much for one person to handle? Or maybe is this a prelude to opening up the manufacturing system to smaller capital ships? Let us know your thoughts by commenting on this show's post over at GuardFrequency.com or on our post in the Robert Space Industries fan site subforum. Dateline Sessin is back, and once again, it doesn't disappoint. Yadav, still breathing, discovers a hollow map embedded in the contact lens of her attacker, which leads her to the door and a long, dark staircase that descends into the depths below. What awaits our heroine at the end of a long journey through the dark? Well, we'll have to wait until next week to find out. And on this week's 10 for the chairman, you know... Chris is looking a little peaked. I don't know. Yeah. Did you guys see that? He did look a little bit tired. He, he looked, looked like he lost a lot of weight. That's not necessarily a good thing when you're looking no. sick along with it. And it was, no. it was all in his face and his eyes. The poor guy. I just felt really sorry yeah. for him. Just like, it's just, you know what? Take 10 for the chairman off. Just go have a nap. You clearly need it right now. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure he's killing himself with the dogfighting module. I mean, oh, showing... Yeah. A guy like him showing anything before it's absolutely ready. I mean, hell, I bet even like when a release happens, I bet this guy's a nervous wreck, even after he's had polished time and all that kind of stuff. I, this is probably just eating him up, knowing that he's going to have to release something that's not just A1 perfect. If he makes it through this, I think the next one will be easier. The first-person shooter model and the economy, those things will probably be easier once he gets this one sort of done. But, man, I think it's killing him. But he did take the time to answer some questions, and we're going to tell you what he said. Guys, you're flying a sim. Guess how you're going to take off. You're going to get into your dogfighting module version one, and you're going to get in your cockpit, and you're going to turn on a simulation. Not going to be launching out of your hangar. It's not going to be taking off the deck of a carrier. It's just going to be the simulation model, the battle arena that we were promised as a stretch goal. You're going to get a little message. It's going to fire up a computer simulation, and you'll get inside your Hornet or any other ships that are going to be available in version one. And if you don't have your ship you pledged for, we're giving you a loaner. So that was good news. 
Yeah. Which I think is possibly the reason why Chris is sick. I always thought that when the dogfighting module got delayed from December to, well, as we now know, to April, that they were going to work behind the scenes to just really push what they were able to produce in that time. And to begin with, everybody was going to be given a hornet to do the dogfighting. That sentence, I think, clearly lets us know that they have been really working hard on getting other small craft available for dogfighting. As Chris says, you'll be able to use any other ships that we have available, and if you don't, then we'll give you a loner. So there is every possibility that if you've bought something like the Aegis or the 350, then you're certainly going to be able to use those in the dogfighting module. And this just makes me so excited because we're going to get a lot more than we were initially led to believe around the Christmas period. Yeah, I'm betting on the Aurora, certainly the Hornet, maybe the 300i just because the commercial's been out there for so long. The Avenger might be a stretch. It depends on how much work they've been able to do on the damage maps, but certainly nothing outside those four. I mean, those four would be the most I would expect. The Scythe will probably be close behind. Outside of those five, I think it's going to be a long wait for the other ones. And mm. we might get three of those five or two of those five at the first one, and then version two, we get another one or two. You know, it, those are going to be the five earlier ones, I'd imagine. Yeah, well, we know that version two is going to be the multi-crewed ships. So, yeah, like you said, we're certainly not going to be seeing anything, even the smaller multi-crewed ships like the Freelancer, for example, probably could be flown solo, but it's better to have two people operating it but yeah i think that just puts it just outside of the limit of what we're actually going to see in this version of the dogfighting module while we also hear that time will eventually be given to put in trek ir and cast ar support into the game chris tells us that if it's something cool they'll get it supported dogfighting module version one it won't have head tracking other than the oculus rift because they are still working on a little bit of head tracking lag they're working closely with the team over at cryengine to actually get this resolved in time which is super cool all announced ships are being worked on. A lot of extra work is needed, though. Damage, level of detail, etc. As the ships get built in-engine, they'll be available in the hangar, which is when they'll be available for pledge. We recently covered all these stretch goal ships on Nuggets for Nuggets, and I've got to be honest, in doing the research for it, there were a few that I just didn't realize were coming to the game. And yeah, I'm quite excited for this, so I'm looking forward to when they put a fresh batch in there, because hopefully that will then also encourage more backers, which means that we can get over the crowdfunding hurdles that we seem to have week after week, meaning we can't talk about another letter for the chairman. Oh, poor us, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why wouldn't I mean, they make more news for us? Seriously. Really, really. Although having said that, our shows are an hour and a half long lately, so maybe less news would actually be preferable. Maybe, yeah. Well, cargo that has fallen off the back of a freelancer, guess what, kids? That will sometimes be classified as stolen. Not all the time. There are going to be apparently different levels of cargo container. There'll be more secure ones that actually will let you track packages, like paying the extra to FedEx to put a tracking number and signature delivery on it. And there'll be the cheapo ones where, hey, this, uh, this fell off the back of the freelancer. They were in the Magnus system. I, you know, it seems like pretty good stuff. It's going to be a rotten shame if they can ding it back to the owner, you know? I think that's a pretty good mechanic. I mean, if you want something sent secure, like the Drake Herald, if you want information sent securely, you pay extra for the specialized courier. If you want cargo sent there, that's high-end stuff, you need to send it securely. 
So we also hear that we're not going to have a friends list in the game and that the organization system, which they're currently developing into organization system version 2.0, will be able to function as a friends list. What will happen is that you will be able to be a member of multiple organizations with one organization acting as your primary. What this then means is that you can create an organization with your friends, which you can then use as a friends list of sorts. I thought this was an interesting take on it because obviously most MMOs have some sort of way of tracking who your friends are but i guess in this game where we're going to have the multiple incarnations if your character dies then everything gets passed on to their next of kin might be a bit hard to keep track of it throughout the whole game and maybe from a roleplay perspective you wouldn't want your next life being friends with your previous associates what did you guys think about this i hate this i hated it really yep yep yeah hate it this this needs to get fixed Toot sweet. Mostly because of the control things that you're going to be able to do with your primary organization. You'll be able to say things like, well, if you're a member of my organization, you can't be affiliated with that one. Unless one of your, quote, organizations that you have is my organization of friends. And that one is separate and apart and not controllable by your organization leader, you know, your primary guild leader. You know, maybe this is part of their anti-infiltration scheme. You know, they're going to have the metagame with people trying to breaking into things. But I hate this. I hate this so much. Why would you take a simple system and make it as complex as all... It's like, how are you going to manage a large list of affiliates? Mm, I hate it. Maybe we need to see it. Again, this is all just talk, and it's a quick 10 for the chairman question, and Chris is not feeling well. It's possible that the full feature list has not been communicated well to us yet. This version, the one that was talked to us here, I do not like it. But we'll wait and see. I actually didn't mind this because much like real life, if you are a member of an organization, then they're going to have rivals and you don't want somebody who's going to be moonlighting in the other organization. You don't want, if you're, for example, the guard frequency, we don't want to be associated with pirates. But if you were of a more role play sense, you would say, yeah, I only want you to be a member of my organization if you do not have any ties to any criminal organization. And Chris did say as part of this whole metagame system that there will be a way to allow you to hide some of your history. Because again, much like in real life, you could hire someone and even though they declare that they're not a member of any pirate organization, I don't know if that's a standard interview question in the States, then Mm. you're going to be able to sort of hide that and possibly have some shenanigans going on. The way that I think this might work, just looking at all the things that they've got in place, we know that they have this system of spectrum ID, ours is guard freak and there are various other ones imperium for example i wouldn't be surprised if what you would have to do in order to get access to a guild is you would be granted some sort of token like a a literal token that allows you to connect to the guild system in some way so we would be able to issue new recruits with a guild token as it were to let them come in and again with the way that they've got different bits and pieces in place i think that they'll be able to sometimes take those tokens to somebody who would be a little bit shady on one of the fringe systems and get them to just modify it slightly to not show up all of your history when you connect to that guild i can see something like that being put into place here let's take real life i belong to an organization i I go to work every day and i do my it job and i have friends and peers that work in hp or dell I don't belong to HP or Dell, but I have friends that do. I don't consider myself being part of their organization. 
but I use LinkedIn to talk with a lot of my peers across the country and we have friendly conversations and whatnot. This is not how it works. Sorry, I I, I hate it. I think Lennon makes a good point on the whole metagaming part, the whole Eve part of this about infiltrating people's organizations and the role-playing angle. That's that's fine. I just am waiting to see the solution where if I have a real-life friend who happens to be in a pirate clan and I just want to know when he's on so we can talk and chat because we're buddies in real life, I understand that in the verse we're going to be going head-to-head with each other because I'm more of a first responder, search and rescue, you know, white knighty good boy kind of a person, and he's more of a I want to kill you and murder your corpse and then desiccate or desecrate your corpse desecrate your desiccated corpse is what he want to do because he's a pirate and a turtle he's a he's a bad person i get that part i just want a simple friends list to say no matter what my buddies play as in the universe or what organizations they're members of while in the game i might still like log off and go have a beer with them in real life i want a list that i can do that with as per the previous question, to make the game instance with your friends, you need to be on an organization list or in a group squadron with them to force the game to keep you together. Wingman Sanger, episode 62, had a few general points to make. Uh, first of all, the eight-person DFM limit was a cry-engine issue and has been blown out of the water, to quote the wingman. So guess what, kids? We're not just going to have fours on fours. Maybe eights on eights, maybe sixteens on sixteens. As much computing as the system can handle, we're going to have advantage of it. And the asteroid hangar and room system was also given an introduction. The team at Behavior in Montreal showed off the foundation tech of all those components, showing us some hangars on planet side, in spaceships, inside asteroids, etc. The Caterpillar and the Connie will be the biggest you can fit inside the asteroid hangar. However, there will be an expansion system, so you can choose which size rooms to add, like bathrooms and offices and firing ranges. You'll be able to use your Moby Glass to edit the hangars and add new rooms. There will be a construction timer, so you'll basically order your Moby Glass to build you a room, and while you take your Moby Glass into your ship and go do something, your Moby Glass will apparently build your room for you. Now I'm confused, but it's all going to just happen. It'll be magic and awesome. On the forum feedback section, we are introduced to the idea of the private servers being miniature persistent universes freelancer style. So if any of you are familiar with the old freelancer game and the ability to set up private servers, that's kind of what they're shooting for in the first go-round. Our upcoming interview with Jason Spangler, we talk a little bit about that, and I don't want to spoil it for you yet, but this is consistent with what I heard uh, when I was down there. Bounty hunters can also use the person of interest system to hunt people down. Maybe it's like a friends list. Oh, wait, we don't have that. And if you land your ship, no one's going to be able to steal it from you, probably. If you're in a safe zone, your ship will be locked and there'll be people monitoring things like unauthorized takeoff. So ship stealing from your hangar is not going to be a thing. But I'd imagine if you're landing on an outpost somewhere in an unexplored area or in the middle of a field, probably ought to lock it and take your keys with you. And the food and drink system, Lennon, is in there for immersion's sake. Gameplay-wise, yeah. it's not crucial. Did I hope it break your heart? A, it, it broke my appetite. Uh, I really <laughs> hope that they give us some reason to actually use food or drink. Oh, well, I'm sure I'll get over it. I I just don't know what to do with all the McDonald's I've got in the back of the freelancer now. (laughs) Well, as uh, I'm not going to be able to eat or drink now because the food and drink system is purely for emergency sake, I I, I guess I just better ask, where the f*** 
is the dogfighting module. So this is our little section where we like to tell you what we're doing to pass the time between now and April the 10th. So this week, in order to pass the time, I dug out a few old games that I haven't played for a while. One of which in particular is a game called Continuum. Have either of you two heard of this or played it? It's sometimes known as Subspace. No. Yes, Subspace, I, I know. I have played it prior. Excellent. Well, for Tony's sake, it is basically a multiplayer asteroids type game, if you can imagine it from like the top down view with your little spaceship and you push forward you let go your ship continues to slide much like jeff's chair there <laughs> what, but it's 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 multiplayer so there's big servers and you get to just fly around with all your friends there's a lot of pvp basically on a particular arena called trench wars if you've not tried it i would highly recommend you guys do it it's entirely free it's a really small program because it's a really odd game but it is addictive as hell and it is really fun and speaking of addictive as hell and really fun tony i think you've been joining me for my other uh, my other way of passing time this week. Yeah, we're firing up the Artemis Bridge Simulator on mm-hmm. our... Um, we're expanding our technology over here at Guard Frequency. We're live streaming now. We've had our website up and uh, been uh, serving our podcasts from that from the very beginning. Now we're seeing if we can stretch our wings a little bit and fly around the galaxy on our uh, server. So we're putting together an Artemis game, starting off slow starting off an hour before the live stream on Saturday nights. We're going to maybe try to open it up to folks, bits and pieces, a little bit at a time. But we think a Saturday match before the live stream might be kind of a fun ritual to get into. So we're testing that out these days. Okay, so Jeff, I was given the opportunity the other day to purchase Titanfall for the equivalent of 28 US dollars. Is this something I should do? And how much of my life will I lose if I do it? Probably most of it. You'll never audio engineer again. Oh, then you are forbidden. (laughs) For the good of the podcast. Yeah. It just depends on if you like first-person shooters or not. Yeah, I do have a bit of a weakness for them, unfortunately. Uh, Planet Side 2, I hate to think how many hours I've wasted on that. I think it's approaching my Star Trek Online count. Um, and I've been in Star Trek Online since beta. So, difference between this and Planet Side is that Planet Side's a huge map where you can go a lot of places, and it takes forever to get there sometimes. But this is just a quick. This is almost like a Call of Duty kind of battle. You have different modes that you fight in, capture the flag, spawn points, and that kind of thing. But it is fun. It's quick, and what you can do in the game is different than other first-person shooters. And so it is not worn itself out yet. You say it's like Call of Duty. Will I get to meet my real dad? And it turns out he's a 12-year-old boy. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yes. Okay, well, on that bombshell and with the latest news from CIG Dan, let's get back to basics with this week's Nuggets for Nuggets. You have all flown before, but you're about to enter a whole new world, so pay attention. That means get on your feet, Nuggets! Hello, sits and sieves, and welcome to Nuggets for Nuggets. This is our section of the show where we like to delve into the mechanics of Star Citizen and give you all of the gory details from the inside out. Fair warning, though, this game is still very much in active development, so everything that we say is subject to change. As the next great starship is on hiatus until the 18th of April, we thought we would bring you everything we know about the specs for the next great starship. Normally, we like to kick these segments off with a rundown of the weight and height, but one of the great things, but also the great unknowns, is that the teams get to choose the overall length, size, and therefore weight. So let's talk about what we do know. The gunship is designed to deploy Marines into highly volatile and downright dangerous places and provide covering fire to keep the men on the ground safe. The gunship will need a minimum of one pilot and two gunners, or four to six Marines. 
If she's not carrying those Marines, she can make use of the empty space to carry up to 15 tons of cargo. Not an insignificant amount. Featuring four TR-2 thrusters positioned in such a way to create an eight times thruster array, the gunship will be maneuverable but she won't be able to turn on a dime. To help compensate for the speed, or lack thereof, she'll be able to take a good hit or two as she has a shield with a max rating of 5, which roughly translates to passion fruit in the metric system. So, she's a gunship, so let's talk about guns. The ship will eventually come with one class 4 turret, two class 3 missile pods, and two class 5 manned point defense turrets. Enough firepower to sink a ship, or two, or three. Each team has a different take on exactly what the gunship will be, ranging on big, beefed-up versions, clearly inspired by real-world fighters, to ships that are truly alien. Which ship finally becomes the next great starship is ultimately up to us to vote on at the end of the competition. In the meantime, the teams are working hard, incorporating the judges' feedback, and trying to survive through the coming rounds to become the champion, and above all, the creators of the next great starship. At this early stage in the competition, now that they've taken the judges' feedback on board, are there any for you guys that are the clear frontrunners in this? I am just still blown away by the three dingo thing. I watched the next great Starship episode with the dogfighting fun bits in it, but none of the iterative work that I saw from the teams this week had any really effect on me. Infinite Shoe Monkey has come a long way, I'll tell you that much. Um, oh, yes. They, they've improved quite a bit. I still don't think they're up to three dingo standards yet, but they're a lot better than they were. Mm. I've got the feeling, though, that people like three dingo they've come in with a very clear idea of the level expected infinite shoe monkey have learnt so much along mm-hmm. this journey that i think they might actually surprise us by being able to take on everything and then improve on it there's a couple of teams that i feel would sort of they have a good idea it's clearly their idea they don't want to change too yeah, much yeah. and so i can see that in the next coming rounds we're going to see the ones that shouldn't be right at the front dropping off slowly but you know that's why they have the elimination rounds mm-hmm. um, jeff what about you is there anything that particularly stands out for you so far or any ships that you would want to buy if they were available now uh not yet but uh, i was impressed by the level of details they did actually get into this kind of update they had on the next great starship teams really are taking in and refining their designs and bumping up some of the visuals and i'm getting to see more of their ideas take shape yeah i think lennon brought up a really good point i think the team that advances past this you know first feedback round will be the ones that can internalize and execute on other people's ideas because if there's one refrain we hear over and over from everybody connected to this game it's that we're here executing chris roberts vision you can have your own vision. That's great. That's wonderful. It's, that's part of being a creative person. But you're trying to get it into Chris Roberts' game. And if you can take the communication from his team, internalize it, and then execute on it, you're going to have a leg up. And continuing our series of interviews with the staff at CIG, let's get into this week's highlights, our interviews with Mark Skelton and David Ladyman. Authenticate identity with recognition codes immediately. I am a cipher, a cipher wrapped in an enigma, smothered in secret sauce. All right, folks, I'm joined by David Ladyman, the newest uh, member of the Cloud Imperium team here on the design side. Uh, So, David, what do you do here for Cloud Imperium? I do a couple of different things. The first thing I was brought on to do was in the most visible is the Jump Point magazine, the PDF magazine that we release once a month. And uh, that is keeping me plenty busy. Uh, In addition to that, as sort of an outgrowth of that, I'm also responsible for contracting our freelance authors for 
both the jump point serials that we run and also for the spectrum dispatch stories uh, the, until I came on for the first several months Dave Haddock who is the lead writer was responsible for the stories that were being published in, in Spectrum Dispatch and he just ran out of time <laughs> and, and, and he and Chris came and said we need more stories we need other people to write them because he has a game to write and, and so he's been very busy doing that but he has been very much involved in the stories themselves and who we pick as writers and what the stories say. Well, and that's one thing that's interesting about the, the fiction pieces is that uh, you drop little tidbits of information about the game in the stories. Uh, little little ideas of what the game mechanics might be like. Uh, Sometimes little, we do that. Little concept. When you when a freelancer or a freelance writer approaches you, do you say that story would be a good fit for this little piece of mechanic, this little piece of mechanic we want to do? Can you incorporate that, or does it go the other way? It can go both ways. The more an author knows initially about our universe, the more the author is going to be coming up with suggestions. Uh, and we we have run the spectrum of folks who who've known nothing about our universe before they started researching it and writing about it. Uh, to uh, authors who are fans themselves. Uh, and uh, and the fan writers are the ones who are more likely to come to us with suggestions like that. Uh, but there are times as we review stories and say, hmm, this is something that, well, first we need to change it slightly because the game will be a little different from what has originally been written. But second, <clears throat> excuse me, we also have situations where... Uh, just a case in point, we have recently developed more depth into what is going to happen when someone gets injured, uh, someone gets thrown from a ship, ejected from a ship, or what have you, and we have a story coming up, and we said, we have people getting injured and thrown from their ships, let's make sure that what he is writing is coordinate with what we currently plan to have in the game. So do you seek people out, like, uh, we've got this mechanic set in stone, now let's find somebody to write a piece of fiction about it? Is that ever No. No. It just... It's... it's uh, it is as things are comfortable to add. It's, it's not, we need a story that talks about this mechanic. Let's find a writer who can, who can describe that mechanic for us. Now, I imagine your submission pile is pretty, pretty tall. It is taller than I want it to be. It's taller than it should be. Um, and I will. I have apologized before, and I will apologize now. I, I am trying to whittle it down, and it is. But work. the the volume of it though is pretty pretty stiff. Is it a pretty large volume of stuff? Coming? Sure. Yeah. And, and 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 again, you have a matching. It's not only reading it for content and story and that stuff. It's also maybe thinking. There's another step to your usual editing process. Where can we match this up with something that's going to happen in the game? Does that happen every time? No, not so much matching up to something that's going to happen in the game. In fact, more often than not, we avoid what's particular storylines or something like that that are in the game because those we don't want to be influenced by the fiction that we have coming into it. Of course, we're still months over a year out from anything that actually is going to happen in game, right? Uh, so any fiction that we're doing now is is just a, a prequel to that, anyway. Things are subject to change, and probably will. Absolutely will. <laughs> well, um, 
Is there is there a, is something you're looking for in fiction that you that is that that you're really attracted to that that uh, puts something on the top of your submission pile? Of, oh yeah, we got to get that in here. Something that's different, uh, and the story ideas are are useful, but the thing we're looking for more than a story idea is someone who can write a story and ability to write a story is what is more important to us than I want to write a story about spider or I want to write a story about careers or I want to write a story about the the struggle between Terra and Earth. It's just the ability to tell a tale. Right. And to tell a tale, both narrative and to give believable dialogue. So uh, which one is which one's the tougher one that you've seen from what you have so far? People have a tougher time with the narrative part or the tougher part with, with the making people talk? It depends on the person. It, there isn't really a, this is tougher than that. Some people have mastered one more, some have mastered the other, and obviously we're trying to find those. We're good at both, yes. <laughs> so, well, um, uh, do, if, if someone wanted to get in touch with you to do that, how would they go about it? They submit to, I, I run my email in JumpPoint. Uh, there are a couple of posts in the forums that have my email address. I'm sure that david.ligaman at cloudimperiangames.com is not hard to find. Uh, but uh, send it to me. It goes on the stack. I get to it. When you get to it. Consecutively. <laughs> in order. In order yeah. of submission. Okay. Um now, uh, on the last Wingman's Hangar, you talked a little bit about the very rudimentary beginnings of setting up the economy. And that's what it is. The rudimentary beginnings. Yes. But you come to Cloud Imperiums in, with a background in, in games. In paper games. Paper yes. games. And, the, and making sure something works literally on paper first. Is that the first step to getting uh, the economy of Star Citizen put together? That's where I'm coming from because that's where I came from. But there are many, many, several more folks than I working on the economy, and in particular the team at Behavior is putting together, and has been working for several months, so putting together a very solid economic model. Uh, and my job, as I best understand it, is to make sure what they're doing, they're making sure the code works, and that it's in a system that does give a workable economy. My job is to make sure that it's fun. That that and fun can be a broad definition. Uh, that it is satisfying. That it's understandable. That it's something a player can get into. And and whatever his contact is or her contact is with the economy is they're they're happy with with the contact they had with it. Yeah. Some other developers I've talked to have talked about a time versus progress sort of idea that if you put in a certain amount of time, you get a certain amount of progress out of it. If you put in a certain amount of effort into the system, that your effort is rewarded. Is that kind of where your job is and behavior? Just make sure that the, that gets executed. I am more the tail than the dog on this. Uh, I think that behavior is doing, as far as I can tell, is doing far more work on this than I am. Uh, the uh, I hadn't heard that image before the time and the progress thing, but it's valid. Okay. Um, 
what kinds of things do you see people doing that for fun in the economy? What 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 are the types of things? You know, we understand trading will be part of it, and we understand that um, uh, you know salvaging will be part of it. But what are some things that might be fun if I'm a trader? What are what are some of the, the ideas that we might see? Well, subject there's to the subject there, to change. Yeah, <laughs> there's the obvious. You can buy, you can sell, you can go out and, and mine something, you can take it in, you can... Uh, it's it's the steps beyond the obvious that are so subject to change that it probably wouldn't be a real good idea to start talking about, we'd like to do everything. I mean, sure. we, would, we would like to have, have this, this immensely sophisticated and complex world that does everything that someone wants to do. Uh, something that came up today, should people be allowed to be waste dispensers and go and collect the trash and find a place to get rid of it? And my first thought was, why would anyone want to do that? But then the second thought is, you know, somebody might. That doesn't mean we're going to allow people to collect the trash and, and get rid of it. But sure, if, if we can make it work, we will. I was actually going to ask about that because that taking was, out the trash, taking out the trash, and that because that's one of the things. Seriously, because that's one of the things that you know you're building a very immersive universe. You know, mm-hmm. There's going to be you have to build, you have to mine something, then you have to build a tiny widget, then you have to build a stage two widget, then you finally get your laser gun, and all of those have the loops, the various input loops that we've you know the the, the cloud that they mm-hmm. put those things out on the internet. The, subject to change, subject to change, is sort of a map of the economy yeah. that has all these loops in there. One loop that I didn't see in there was was waste. You know, mm-hmm. the idea that if you manufacture too much and uh, you know uh, pollute your environment or something like that, there might be penalties in the game for doing that. So there could be. It's on somebody. It's on somebody's radar. It, it, it is on someone's Subject radar. In fact, the uh, the fact that it isn't in what you've seen means that what you've seen has already changed. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, uh, so if you were to uh, pick your goal for for the economy, it is if someone wanted to be this is a dog fighting game, right? This is, it is. That, that's what the the, the mechanic mm-hmm. of the game is. And there's also going to be a first person shooter side of it. There are people that don't like Twitch games, but who love the idea of Star Citizen. Could the economy be something that could log in and play? Could they play the economy and have a satisfying game experience? Ideally, yes. Uh, if I'll go so far as to say if I'm going to be worth the money I'm being paid, then yes. Uh, but there's still work to be done on it. I mean, that's that definitely is one of our... I'll say it's one of my goals. I won't put it as an official uh, Cloud Imperium goal, but I suspect that's the case as well. Well, uh, we've had, uh, had a question from one of our fans who uh, has some disabilities, and he's mm-hmm. not going to be very good at the Twitch at all. And that's one reason why, uh, you know, to get at the broadest possible base, is there is there other things that you can do as a, as a pen and paper game designer? Maybe not the economy specifically, but other things that might uh, appeal to people that don't really want to do the Twitch. Well, the simple answer is, of course. I mean, yes, <laughs> there are things you can add to the game. Uh, whether what things get added, whether they get added, to what extent, the more we can do the more we will do. But, uh, as you say, at heart, it's a Twitch game. We will try to make it accessible to other folks as well. 
speaking of things that are accessible to some people. Yep. So how many of these have, have, have gone out the door? Like thousands, hundreds, millions? Zero. Zero. Is this the only being, one? It's still being printed. This is the only this, one I might this is This is a sample, and if you look at it very closely, which I ask people not to, uh, it has <laughs> various dings and bumps, and, and it they sent it to us overnight, and uh, it suffered... Uh, it's, it is a sample. It is, in several ways, if you start looking at it closely, not well put together. It wasn't even printed in exactly the same way that we're going to print the final copies. We're still we're still taking orders. We're still in the middle of getting them printed. And after this one, there's going to be a soft cover edition for anyone to offer to anyone buy. Anyone can get the soft cover edition. Yes. Sir. All right. um, and uh, how? But when do you think the soft cover might uh, be available? Uh, actually, I suspect that the hard covers will be bound before the soft covers. Uh, the interior of the book is identical, right. so uh, they're just running all the interiors together. Then they need to get them bound. I, I'm not sure about the process, but my understanding is uh, the hard covers will be bound first, and then the soft covers. But there won't be a big delay between one to the other. All right. Well, Mr. Lady, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely. For by. Well, thank you for coming in. Thanks. All right. Welcome to Guard Frequency. I've got Mark Skelton, Art Director for Star Citizen. Here. Thanks for coming by. Hey, man. Thanks for thanks for having me. Appreciate right. it. Uh, we were uh, just talking off camera a second ago about the next great starship. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and my uh, awesome gold shirt. You're on, how could we not talk you about the awesome miss, gold you shirt? You can't miss out on the gold shirt. Ha have, we, have we finalized plans for what's going to happen to the gold shirt uh, afterwards? Know. See, I, I don't know. I, w I was thinking about maybe leaving it to the fans. Like, I was thinking about maybe having an auction and then giving it to charity. You could like frame it like like a sports jersey. Right. And then put right. a little plaque on it. Yeah. yeah. See, the, okay, there's another. There's and it won't be washed. So my stink will be on it. It'll be worth more that way, I think. Do people want it washed? Was I that hope a thing? not. No, I don't think I so. Hope no. Not. no, you know, you want you want it raw. You want, you want it full and ripe. You want it real. Yeah. That may be, that may be like the bloopers. I don't know. <laughs> 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 or we may keep it. I don't know. Uh, well, let's talk about uh, a little bit about the the competition itself. You know, this is uh, uh, we kind of talked about on our show a little bit about how it's kind of the the prototype for the pipeline mm -hmm. uh, for later on when more user generated content makes it into the game. Are you are you coaching people a year from now, two years from now, on what it'll take to get things to you guys a standard to get it into the Star Citizen universe? Um, yeah, I mean, absolutely. A, a lot of this, to tell you the truth, especially like the um, minutia of the setup and detail of these ships are still being worked out. I mean, they are super complicated, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, the level of interaction, you know, is something that I've never worked at that level before. So there's a lot of people working, you know, full time on getting these, um, you know, set in stone and, you know, getting the pipeline down. So as we learn, we can pass it on to these guys, but definitely like they're learning our, hopefully they're learning our, um, you know, art direction aesthetic, like what what is expected on a ship like this, you know, and try to get a feeling for, you know, get inside Chris Roberts' head and, you know, try to figure out, like, exactly, you know, what he's looking for. And I think the more people know that, I think when they start implementing things in the game and start, you know, um, more user content and stuff like that, I think they'll uh, they'll have a better chance of, of pleasing him and, and making it into the game. You know what I mean? 
So yeah, on one of those uh, last episodes of Tenth of the Term, he talked about you guys being kind of editors and uh, editors of the game, you know, curators of the Chris Roberts Museum almost. You know, what what pieces are going to make it in and, and be on display? Yeah. Are are you guys sort of setting up uh, a team of that here now? Is that something you can pass off to someone else later, or is that something that's always going to be Mark Skelton's thing? So. One of the things that we're doing right now, um, talking about, you know, just like what is the aesthetic, what what are we passing on? We're we're actually working on a style guide right now. Okay. Um, eventually, I'm sure that will be public access. Um, I don't know when, but we're slowly moving forward on, you know, um, writing all this stuff down, uh, giving examples of everything. Making sure that um, you know all the questions are answered in this document, and that's not only for us; it's also for our outsourcers and for anybody who touches the game. I mean, obviously, we, you know, uh, the the amount of people that are working with us right now on this game is immense. Mm -hmm. So, trying to coordinate with all of them and trying to you know art direct every single little thing that's coming in is is a daunting task. So. Um, this style guide, once it gets up and going, um, you know, will will help that. Will help. Will help an artist to be able to hit it, you know, closer the first time than you know having to art direct through it. So and and having to go through multiple iterations to right. get to a point where it would be usable. Right. And honestly, and like I said, I mean, you know, it's an iterative process. Right. So these ships that are coming online, you know, they're being added to the style guide and. The aesthetic is being added to the style guide every day. So, man, by the end of this, the style guide is going to be—you <laughs> know—it's going to be it's <laughs> yeah. significant. It's going to be significant. Well, we, uh, something we've talked about on our show is a show bible. Like for a TV mm -hmm. show, there's like this exactly. sort of thing that you go to, and uh, uh, saw the architecture. Mm -hmm. uh, it, you had uh, several different styles throughout the millennia. Mm -hmm. There'll be a style guide for the ship aesthetic. That Absolutely, you're going to want there. Or what else do you see being opened up to the community uh, as far as? make this thing and we can put it in our game. Ships, weapons, buildings. Yeah, buildings. I mean, I, we've, I mean, it's still kind of debating back and forth, like the level, I mean, I'm sure it's going to be unprecedented. I mean, I, I know that all the tools and everything that we've, uh, we're working towards to create um, need to be like publicly accessible, you know right. what I mean? Need to have a front end. We always consider that, like, okay, if um, one of the users is using this, you know, um, and putting it in our universe, then we need to have a nice front end so that it's not confusing, you know? So all of our tools, everything we build is, we take that in consideration when we're doing it. So, I mean, that's, so conceivably, there's gonna be quite a bit of chunks of the game that, you know, will be user content driven. You know, and expanded upon, so which is great, man. I, God, I can't wait. You know, I can't wait to see what the what the users come up with. I mean, even in our, you know, in our forums, like just seeing like paint overs and their ideas for things and how the ships are laid out. I mean, God, man, they have some great ideas. You know, some fantastic talent out there. Well, you know, and you know, there's a, you guys are kind of reworking some of the the ships a little bit for the cargo mm -hmm. mini game or something like that. Is that is that taking up a lot of uh, uh, horsepower internally here, or is, is that something that's just easy to do? So right now, it's not easy to do. Um, right now, we are a lot of that stuff is in concept right now. So we're kind of working it out and making sure that um, uh, 
A, it's going to work, and B, it's going to be fun, you know, because, you know, who, yeah, moving company, that sounds fun, let's just move stuff in here, you know, how fun is that going to be? Well, we're going to try to make it as fun as possible, right. so there's going to be design, you know, um, considerations, and there'll be, um, there'll be other considerations, but, I mean, some of the ships and stuff were actually, um, you know, taking a really hard look, um, like, on future ships, like, making sure that like the interior wise of the ship you know is a hundred percent you know and right. we're it's it's funny because again uh going back to like i've never done ships at this level before so like a lot of the earlier ships you know we thought we kind of knew what we were doing and then we you know got it got down to the minutia of it and then realized oh man you know <laughs> we should have maybe we should have designed this a little better you know as yeah. far as like because, you know, there's things that you don't really even consider until you've walked around a ship, until you've, like, you know, kicked the tires and opened the hood, you know, and you're like, oh, man, okay, you know. There's no room for a thruster here. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay, I, I get that, you know. And so, slowly but surely, you know, we've got our um, spaceship checklist, you know, that we're building, we're assembling. And that goes along with um, the style guide, too, and that is like, okay, well... You know, the first things we ask, like, okay, you know, does it have a bed? You know, does it, how much cargo does it, you know, it's like you go down the list and we make sure that when we're working back and forth with the concept guys that, you know, they have this in consideration. Unlike Star Trek, your spacemen do go to the bathroom. Absolutely. Yeah. They do. Because yeah. space is a, is a long, hard travel. A long way between rest stops. Yeah. 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 So yeah. you got to have that. <laughs> We've got, um, an early concept of the star map that was out there, a very, very, very early concept of that. Is that something that is constantly being worked on, or is that something that we're kind of setting back for for now, and you guys will revisit that closer to the persistent universe? Yeah, we kind of have a framework idea, because, I mean, a lot of that star map honestly comes out of fiction, you know, the way that the fiction is written. Um, you know, that spawns, like, you know, um, new places to go, or making things, you know, more um, hostile, you know, because this and this happened in the past and therefore this, you know, place didn't exist until now and stuff like that. So a lot of that stuff expands and contracts um, with the fiction. So as of right now, it's kind of, you know, we have a rough estimation of like some of the, um, some of the aliens we'll encounter, some of the um, essential um, skirmishes that we encounter, but other than that, I mean, it's it's still being worked out. I mean, that it's a big thing, you know. It's a massive, ongoing thing for sure. Like, where does this exist? How do these fit together? You know, right. stuff like that. So, and and the star map is the reason I'm asking that is because you know that's something that has a definite function, right? It's a map in the mm -hmm. game, but it's also got to look cool and be yeah. useful, right? And, and that kind of stuff. Do you find yourself, uh, and maybe not necessarily the star map, but with other things, drawing that line between what looks cool and what's actually useful in the game and functional? Yeah, I mean that's <laughs> that's the that's the never-ending design versus art debate, right? Because designers always want to make stuff, you know. No, this is like you know they're like the D and D guys with the dice that are okay. throwing the dice and enforcing the rules and dude, I just want to throw stuff, you know. I I, I just want my oh my arrow and kill stuff and yeah. like nope, you got to roll, you know. Uh, so they bring like a level of you know obviously and with this game, you know we are doing a sim, so 
there are a lot of real world considerations, you know, that we have to put in, and we can't get too crazy with the art fantasy, you know, it has to be kind of locked down. I mean, it is it is a hard science game, pretty much. Um, so we take liberties on things, but definitely not as far as, as other games that I've worked on, you know, and design will definitely slap us if, if, we, get too, <laughs> if we get too crazy with it. That's why sure. you wear the gold shirt. That's Just right. Like, they can't tell you that you can't wear the that's, gold shirt. That's right. It's my only... <laughs> It's my only expression of freedom <laughs> outside of those designers, man. Well, uh, uh, can you talk a little bit about, uh, about uh, we've talked about ships, but can we talk about the avatars, the, the, the mm -hmm. peoples, the peoples in there? Mm -hmm. I understand that, again, that's probably down the road a little bit. We've got to get the dogfighting module out. But mm -hmm. what kind of freedom are people going to have in the game when they load up Star Citizen for the first time? What kind of freedom are you guys anticipating for their faces, body, shy, body styles, body shapes? Well, this has been a huge subject back and forth. Um, I actually started out here as um, the um, as a um, like lead character artist. So I was right off the bat. I was like embedded in this you know debate about how it should be and what the expanse of you know the avatar should be. Like how much creativity and you know adjustability do you have inside the game? Um, it's it's kind of back and forth because honestly, if you think about it, your ship is kind of your identity, right? right. Um, and so we are putting a lot more resource and thought into ships. But as far as the customization goes, I mean, we've we are working with Three Lateral right now, which is they're the company that was using uh, that did Rise and the okay. facial right. generation and stuff like that. Um, they did all the morph targets, so. Our heads and stuff, the scanning, which we had a, um, that was a stretch goal to get uh, this scanning um, system that we've got in place, um, which it's just starting to come online. But um, as far as that, I mean, we still are kind of debating like how far we want to take that. I mean, the debate obviously is like, okay, do I give you, you know, a hundred heads to choose from, or do I give you a few heads and let you, you know, make the nose bigger, make right. the eyes bigger, you know, and there are considerations on both sides, you know, and there are, there are pros and cons to both things. Um, I don't think we've really hard decided that yet. We're still trying to figure out the tech, like, okay, if we did want to give you the ability to, you know, move your face around, like, what would it be? Uh, I know a couple of um, ideas was maybe that, you know, we give you two heads and then you, you can morph in between them or you pick two heads that you want and you'll be able to morph in between them. So between those two heads going back and forth, you know. I can you, have a nose somewhere between here and here. Right. Yeah, and your face will definitely look different than either one of those. Okay. So, I mean, that was kind of yeah. thrown around a little bit. Um, as far as the, the, um, the clothes and the suits, uh, the swappable stuff, um, we have been working... Um, with the Warhorse guys. I don't know if you guys yeah, know who those yes. are. Yeah. The, they're working on the Cry Engine that's the medieval. Yeah, and yeah. they have a fantastic um, character customization system that um, they're stacking their clothes you know, on top of each other. Right. And um, it's great, man. It looks fantastic. So we've been talking back and forth with them on maybe sharing some tech with them and them giving us some tech back. You know, So that's kind of in the early stages, um, which 
you know, that could work out great. I mean, I, but again, it's one of those things where we have to figure out like memory considerations. Is this going to be too crazy? You know, is it going to, you know, is, are we going to run out of memory that we need for other parts of the game? You know, so that all ha is rolled into this big ball of what is avatar system, you know, so it's, you know, it, it's, to be determined, but we're definitely like heading that way. I mean, we've got suits now, as you as you tell as, as you guys have seen, probably the, the RSI suit, and we're oh, we're just about to have a, a female, I think, come online. So we've seen some you know behind the scenes motion capture pictures and stuff like that. Yeah. So yeah, so the female stuff is going to come online. Um, as far as like. I know this has come up before as far as like big and small guys. Yeah, body size, yeah. Um, can I have a, a thin guy? Can I have a fat guy? You know, um, like what are the, the body style constraints or, you know, non-constraints? Um, this has been a huge debate, obviously, back and forth. Um, one of the hard facts that we have about that is that we have built our cockpits like very streamlined and tight and so if we give you a big fat guy man he he's going to be clipping all over the place and there's no way he's going to fit in that you know in that seat and it's yeah. like you know it, well in real life the military you have yeah. to be certain and that that was you know that was the the logical explanation is like you know what you know if you're in the military you're not you know, six foot four, three hundred and sixty pounds. You know, in a jet flying around, they right. just—that's just—they don't build them that way. Right. That's just not the way it happens. But um, I will say that there will probably be some sort of like small bulking up or shrinking down. Now, as far as the other, the other thing is um, like height considerations. And again. The problem with that is, is that you we have built our ships so that um, the current avatar can touch the pedals, you know, right. and grab the the the, joy, uh, the the stick. So, I mean, we've been debating, you know, do we move the seat back and forth depending on how big or tall <laughs> you are? Yeah, exactly. Slide it forward. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like you're in a truck, um, you know, or do we just make all the characters? Five foot nine, five yeah. foot ten. Everybody's so there. you know, that's a major consideration. I mean, and I, as a character artist, would love to have like different body styles, different you know heights and stuff like that. But um, I mean, honestly, I I don't know how that's going to go. Uh, we're still debating about it. I I have a feeling that you know at least we'll give you you know you can get bulkier and thinner, but can't be like a 350 pound fat guy it's just I don't think that's gonna happen um, but who knows who knows maybe there will be the fat guy ship maybe it'll be a fat guy yeah Aurora who knows oh, the okay. fatty Aurora <laughs> that's what I'll call it from now on <laughs> hey man can buy your fatty Aurora yeah. cockpit's twice the size now twice <laughs> the fun come it's on down four cup holders for you <laughs> yeah. uh, well let's talk about um, uh, the environment you know, the, the, we touched a little bit on architecture a little while ago, but, mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's going to be other kinds of environments besides just your landing bay eventually. Mm -hmm. There'll be the hangar, but there'll be the city, and then someday there will be asteroids and maybe some planets and stuff like that. Are you guys uh, uh, 
thinking about that now is this again something for later but are, are you going to build these worlds and then let other people populate them? yeah like I said before um, every tool that we're building um, for every system in the game um, we are trying to build it in a way that is user friendly enough where um, the public can get a hold of it and, and play with it now again I mean I it's still debatable like how much of that you know, will be accessible, but we're definitely building in mind that the users are going to drive a lot of this content. Uh, even the way that we've set up the um, the modular um, environment. So, um, you guys probably heard, you know, I think they went over it in Wingman Center. We had a big um, modular summit. Um, yeah. I think it was like last year or something. Uh, basically, what that was is one of the things that we were tackling in that was okay, how do we build modular environments? You know, how uh, is the best way, the best bang for the buck to get the most, um, you know, wide-ranging environments with um, a system that is flexible enough um, to where it all it can work together. You know, you can take a piece from here and it'll fit with a piece from here, like a Lego system. Um, that in mind, I mean, that works perfectly with like um, user controlled content or user injected content because we give you like a file and say okay if you build in these range you know if you build in this range um, and you keep it on the grid and you snap it here and here then you know you can expand on the set that we have or you can make your own set you know so and then it's compliant you know it's game compliant and um, you know it just works so we definitely keep that in consideration um, like I said I don't know how much Accessibility that's going to have, but I, I would bet that there's probably going to be quite a bit. I mean, that's the whole point of this, really, is the users. Yeah. Well, yeah, and we've, I've talked about this with some of the other guys, and Chris mentioned it the other day. You guys see yourself like editorial staff mm -hmm. someday. You know, yeah. Right now, you're actually you've been making this stuff, yeah. but one oh, day absolutely. you plan on being editors. Yeah. And, and again, it's like you know, God, there's a lot of talented guys out there. There's a lot. Of, there's a huge community for it, and you know, it's it's fun, man. You know, playing the game, having ownership in the game, like something that you did, you know, something that your clan did, you know, it's like that's huge, man. It's a huge experience. So we definitely want to foster that. The Moby Glass is something that's been touched on kind of recently. That's that's kind of one of those lines, form and function thing. You've got that in fiction thing of the. This does everything, right? And you yeah. strap it to your wrist and right. make holograms and everything like that. Uh, from an art from an art standpoint, are you guys doing a lot of the? Is that UI supposed to be, you know, uh, go across? Supposed to that's supposed to match up with your HUD? Is that supposed to match up with the jobs board? Is this is this Moby Glass going to? Are we going to see this kind of idea over and over again throughout it, that system? I think that's the plan. Um, the plan is kind of like how your iPad works with your computer. So you've got computers around you, you know, and um, say for instance, you know, um, I think we're even going to get down to the point where I know your Moby Glass is probably going to eventually end up controlling cargo and stuff like that. Um, so we were, we just had a meeting about that, actually talking about that, like how the cargo would work in conjunction with your Moby Glass. Uh, it would also work, um, yeah, with like uh, ship functions, I believe, um, in tandem. So it would be like, if I'm in another part of the ship, you know, maybe, and, you know, I, I need to do something that's at the front part of the ship, but I 
don't have time to maybe run there, then maybe my Moby Glass can help me, you know, or just, I know we're going to hook it up to ship functions like opening doors and stuff like that. I think you can have it manually and Moby Glass. I think that was the plan, too. Um, the Moby Glass is still, I mean, it's still kind of up in the airish. Like, what is, like, how much control are you going to have? Are you going to be able to, like, I know we've been talking about, like, can you call ahead on a planet and order something, you know, if you're getting into that system or something? There's, like, a range, you know, and you order it, and then when you land, it's there, you know, maybe. I don't know. It's, it's, there's a huge um, design element to it, you know, that needs to be worked out. So that's but, one of the things. But the, you know, if once you learn the Moby Glass interface, once you get once you get the idea of it, once you get the that's gonna translate to maybe some other things too. Is Absolutely. That, okay. Yeah, the HUD team right now is working on that um, in LA. And you know, for a good HUD um, system, it's mostly invisible, right? right? I mean you use it you use it so fluidly that it doesn't interfere with what you're doing. And there's a form language, you know. Again, that goes back to the style guide. There's a form language that goes through HUD systems that link them all together. You know, so it's like if you know how to use it here, then you'll know how to use it here, then you'll know how to use it there. You know, so that that's one design aspect of the game that um, that is coming online shortly, and that's that you know whole design aesthetic. Like, how do all the HUDs work? How do all the you know, Moby glasses work. Like, they obviously have threads together, you know, and they have to do certain things. But, you know, again, like on an iPad or on an iOS or anything, it's like, you know that, okay, you've got icons, you know, and then you know how to get to your call, you know how to get to this and that, and that's all, you know, design aesthetics built into it. So, so again, I mean, for, especially for the, the dogfighting app, I mean, a lot of that is, is coming up. What do you see for people wanting to come into the Star Citizen universe? What what's left undone that uh, that you guys don't have on your roadmap that you guys don't have like planned out? What is there is there a place for artists uh, to come in and say you know this needs to be contributed to and has you guys haven't put on your roadmap yet? Is there something that's on your wish list that hasn't been thrown out? Honestly, I mean these. Um Planet landing zones, you know, there we we've worked out several of them, planet side, you know, systems, but we haven't worked out all of them. And man, there was such huge potential for that. You know what I mean? Like, you could have like a horror planet, or you could have like a, you know, like a throwback planet where it's like 1942. I mean, there's so many like there's so much possibility with that that it's like that would be cool to have input on, you know, to have people input on that and go like, oh, that would be cool. You know, like, you know, I it, I think of the old Star Trek, you know, episodes where it's like they land on planets, you're like, Planet what Nazi. The, yeah, what the, the hell, how did yeah. this happen? Yeah. You know, you're like, oh, shit, they crash landed and da 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 happened. The, yeah. the Wild West, the, the Wild West thing and then the old, uh, uh, the gangsters. The yeah, the gangsters. gangster ones yeah. was great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. see, yeah. the gangster planet, yeah. Totally. You know, stuff like that, you know, to like be all like, where am I? You know, what is happening right now? You know, stuff like that. Now, we've worked out like the basics of, you know, like um, trade routes and trade planets and stuff like that. But man, these, uh, you know, these fringe planets, I think, could really be interesting. I think, I think there would be a lot, there, there could be a really cool, like, you know, user input contingent, you know, there. 
I'm curious to see that. And and the worst that you could tell them is no, it doesn't fit our design aesthetic. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Send it in. It was just you know the worst yeah. thing. No, but no hey, thanks. man, yeah. you never know. I mean, yeah. You know, it's like oh, well, it's really cool. all right. Well, hey, I really appreciate your time, Mark. Thanks for stopping by. Thank you. I appreciate it. Okay, buddy. What's on your mind? We're all friendlies. So let's just be friendly. Again, we are so glad to see all our new friends and new listeners on all of our different feedback channels. We're sorry we can't get to everybody's stuff, but we do want to keep encouraging you to write in and tell us what you think about our show. And some people that have written in from our show post over at guardfrequency.com. From episode 5, Captain Mitch writes, replying to the community question about the hostage mechanic, I think that the capture should work like this. If you get captured, you are bound to being imprisoned or whatever happens to you. Of course, you can try to escape or pay the ransom, etc. But if you just choose to opt out, I think you should lose that character and the next of kin takes over. Definitely interesting. Mm. But Mm. I I was going to say, I'm not a fan personally. No, I think they've got the right idea here because there's the risk-reward balance thing. And if you are going to get captured and then you are like, play the prisoner, that's not a fun game mechanic. I think they've got it right. If you capture somebody, you all of a sudden have a cargo prisoner. From last week's episode, Sean Newboy says, Awesome show, everyone. Thanks to Rob and John for their participation. CQ1, about the ergonomics of the site. I love it, and no, let the human slime suffer. CQ2, alpha means you get to see a non-morning person before their first cup of coffee. Everything out of place, ugly, and messed up. I like that analogy. That is is the best description (laughs) of alpha. It's so accurate. It is untrue. Hear, hear. Shot on. Absolutely. Rogue Jawa wrote in to tell us, Hey guys, after talking with Chivalry Bean the other night in Star Trek Online, I gave the new show a listen. While I doubt I'll be playing Star Citizen, I just wanted to say congratulations. The show was awesome and provides the quality Star Trek Online gamers have come to expect from Priority One Productions to the Star Citizen community. Plus, it was great hearing Tony again. Wow. I mean, really. I mean, that's better than Sean Newboy's comment about Alpha Guys, right? You got a fan. One. One. Yeah. Yeah, One One fan. I'll take him. In my opinion, Alpha is when you switch it on and pray it doesn't try to divide by zero and implode the universe. I like that, but I still think Sean Newboy had it better. I just have one complaint, though. The awesome show made me sad. I said I doubt I'll be playing Star Citizen, but now I want to. Unfortunately, games in first-person view give me motion sickness. I want to point out this comment mostly because there are lots of people out there that don't like Twitch games, but the universe that Chris Roberts is building is really magnetic. I mean, people want to come do this thing. Yeah, and I know in last week's Time for the Chairman, Chris said that it's not been confirmed that this is going to happen, but with the first-person view, at the moment in the Hangar module, we've got the third person, and Mm -hmm. from all of the videos of the dogfighting module that we've seen, we know you can see from outside your ship in effective third-person mode. So I can't see that they're not going to carry that over in some shape or form. So I wouldn't be surprised if this ends up being able to be played in third person. Just not well. Yeah, just not well. Admittedly, you you won't be boarding many ships and you won't be trying to fend off attackers very well. That you would have to drop into first person for. Again, if you want to do some good dogfighting, you're probably going to want to drop into the cockpit view and be able to use HOTAS. Mm -hmm. But I'm sure there will be a third person mechanic for you. So don't be sad and come and join us and at least try it out because it is going to be a free to play game as well. Okay. Oh, Tony, Tony, look at this one. I've also got a fan. That's great. One each, one each. Mad Wolf writes in and says, awesome show as always. Love the interviews with the devs. I could listen to Lennon beatbox Euro style all day. He should get the human club sound system accolade. Oh, for God 
Sorry. <laughs> I was all on board until that very moment. Way to just uh, ruin my life, Mad Wolf. No, but seriously, <laughs> thank you. I will I will try not to beatbox that often. I, I've only been using it as a threat today. But hey, glad you're enjoying our interviews. Well, now you two both have one, so we don't each have one. Oh, just somebody out there is your fan. <laughs> and now that you've got your big sexy mic, yeah. you're going to be beating off the stick. Congrats to Daughter of Soul. If you want to win the last code, we just gave it away. So you can't. Congrats to our final winner. Yes. Sorry that we can't give away any more codes. Unless, of course, the Void Destroyer Dev is listening. Paul, whose name I'm not even going to attempt to try. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I always say, courtesy of Iteration 11 Games, we'll be checking in with him again. I believe he's got another release scheduled sometime real soon. So we like to keep track of our former guests and the games that they're developing. So we'll have him back on uh, on the show. Maybe he'll bring more free codes with him. And via the Robert Space Industries Forum, Berserker writes, I love the quality you guys bring to the writing, the content, the banter, and the music. I feel like you guys have a lot of experience with this, and I'm glad you guys are bringing it to this weekly podcast. CQ1. In terms of the Vandal Scythe, I have seen people comparing it to a motorcycle pose, where the native Vandal are flying it, which isn't too odd. For the way humans must fly it, I'd have to say it's a cost for using alien tech that is never designed for human use. However, I could imagine the scenario where the scythe owners could modify their ships for a better, more human-friendly seat. Like we see with the Aurora LN supposed current ability to swap out the chairs. Alpha means barely stable in my vocabulary, so I expect bugs that would absolutely make you want to hurl your joystick through the screen and the balance of a drunk <laughs> with an inner ear infection. The game mechanics are balanced uh, like a drunk. I like it. I like it. Still giving it to Sean Newboy. Yeah. Sean Newboy gets the metaphor award this week. Yay. Is that another achievement unlocked? Do I have to put another sound effect there? I think probably so, yeah. So, Kin Shadow returns to us to say, I love the scythe, and I think the ergonomics are potentially workable. Remember, there is no artificial gravity on single-seat fighters, so body strain is totally different than what we are used to. He then goes on to say, I don't care what alpha means, so long as I get to blow people up. I replied to this thread on the forums because a couple of words really stood out to me there, which is the phrase, there is no artificial gravity on single-seat fighters. I completely forgot that when I was talking about the design last week, and I was imagining artificial gravity and how it was going to weigh you down, and so... I kind of actually take back a little bit of what I was saying. I still think the pose looks ridiculous, but at least it doesn't feel ridiculous anymore. Yeah, I think there were some really old German jet fighter designs, like the very end of World War II, where pilot would actually lay down on his stomach and try to fly the jet. And and Battlestar Galactica when Kara Thrace takes over the takes over the satellite, she's prone position flying the ship. So I think that we probably have some real world examples of that sort of pose. I just wonder what that's going to do to the display on your screen. I mean, if you're going to have the same look through the canopy windows you're going to have in a regular fighter, and I'm wondering if that's going to have anything to do with why they're doing it that way. I don't know. It's, it's Des- interesting. Despite the no gravity, keeping your head up to look, you know, craning your neck up, is kind of still straining. Yeah, it is, but I think it's an interesting maybe biological or cultural thing. They're coming down from on top of you, whereas Terran or Earth fighters they're always looking for threats from up above because, you know, we used to be little tiny marsupials looking for hawks coming to eat us or something. I don't know. It's interesting in any event, but we'll, we'll see how it works out gameplay-wise. And Daughter of Soul transmits, good stuff. This is my first show. I'll probably keep following you guys at least for a while. Well, I hope so. We, yeah, you're going to have to destroyer code. Yeah, you're going to have to now. You owe us, man. You owe us. Or woman, daughter of or soul. Or woman, daughter of soul. You owe us woman. You owe us, yeah. 
Nexus says, hey guys, great show as always, or if you will, Belf, though, haveth an excellent show. And as for what Alpha means to me, I expect the game to be incomplete and in test phase, with warts and all. It is one of the main reasons I became a backer. It's a unique opportunity as a consumer to participate so early in the development process of any product. Counting down to episode 16. Cheers, mates. That one's for Lennon. (laughs) Eventually, over time, I'm going to poison your language and you're all going to be talking British before you know it. And then we will take back the colonies. P.S. Welcome all newcomers. (laughs) And is that newcomer spelled with a U in there anywhere? No. No. Okay, good. Jeez. It's a lorry full of trouble. Oh, no. It's happening. It's happening. If you actually look at his uh, spelling, sorry to do this to you live on Nexus, doth thou have an excellent show? They actually spell thou with a lot of extraneous letters there, so the British is strong with this one. Well, MC Hat Commander says, love for all the new news, and that was the first RSI forum post for this particular guy. So, welcome. Wow. Ah, you I'm spent glad. your first post on us. That's that's really cool. It was a fantastic I, decision. You will we're not honored. regret it. You might regret it. I'm not going to promise <laughs> that. <laughs> and Red Star says, a really nice and long episode. I approve. Smiley face. Well, Lennon, I guess that means you're going to have to spend eight hours editing the next episode. Oh, gosh. They like him big. Apparently so. An hour and 45 minutes of content from about seven hours of footage. I'm sure we can. <laughs> we might be able to beat that. <laughs> and from Twitter, Smag99 says, that was fantastic. So funny. Oh, thanks. So, do we deserve a Klondike bar? A hug? Let us know. Here are some ways you can get in touch with us. Check us out on our phone post at forums.robertspaceindustries.com. Leave a comment on this episode's show notes at www.guardfrequency.com and you can now subscribe to us at feeds.guardfrequency.com or just search for us on iTunes. Hit us up on Twitter at GuardFreak, that's G-U-A-R-D-F-R-E-Q, or leave a comment and like us on Facebook, that's facebook.com forward slash GuardFreak. And if you're old school like us, then why not shoot us an email, squawk at guardfrequency.com. Your feedback is an important part of what we do, so please take a minute and tell us what's on your mind. And that brings us to the end of episode 16 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode 17 on the 8th of April with more of our visit to CIG in Austin. Be sure to keep an eye out for our episodes over at guardfrequency.com or our post over at Robert Space Industries Fan Sites form. Please send us your feedback about the show. Aside from all the ways that we just ran down in the feedback loop, you can hit the contact form at the top of our website. All the details for all of the ways that you can get in contact with us will be in the show notes. Do you like what we do? You want to come and join us? If so, send a note to squawk at guardfrequency.com. We're always on the lookout for talented individuals, so no matter what you want to do for us, we want you to do it, and you got to tell us that you want to do it before you can do it, and we want to hear from you about you doing it. And that really sucked, and I'm not going to do it again. <laughs> I'm glad. And if you're looking for a friendly wingman or two, check out our organization, Guard Frequency Response, at the official RSI website, robertspaceindustries.com forward slash orgs forward slash guard freak. And if you're not doing anything Saturday night, join us live at guardfrequency.com forward slash live. We take the air at around 8 p.m. Central Time or 2 a.m. GMT. We'll be on the air for probably two hours or so hopefully we tend to go a little long so you know tune in anyway you might catch us here we want to thank the entire team over at guard frequency and priority one productions including chivalry bean our community manager and simon charlton edwards our artist special thanks to mark skelton and david ladyman for sitting down with me in austin and to ronald jenkies for his permission to use his music in our show 
Visit RonaldJenkins.com for more of his work. And we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If there's no one listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely. Reduce thrust. Time to 330, Carol 15. Squawk 7700. Stay on the guard. Special thanks to Mark Skelton and David Ladyman for their time in Austin to uh, sit down and interview me. And I interviewed Tony. them. Rather than inviting an in to... <laughs> Boy, I can't read tonight. And the crowd... Oh, the crowd at Crew Imperium. The crowd at Crew Imperium. First, we're brought a very brief rum, rum down. Oh, I'd like a rum down. That sounds good. That <laughs> yeah, does. Can I get one of those should, to go? We should make that drink. We should make that drink. A rum, rum down. down. A rundown, hell yeah. <laughs> the recipe will be in the show notes. Well, guess what, guys? You're flying a swim. Uh, flying a swim. And as per a previous question, you need to be in an organization list or a group squadron with a... Uh, what? <clears throat> Look, it's, it's, completely, oh, for, okay. oh, it's, it's completely obvious, backwards written, 3 a.m. British, Jeff. I don't know why you can't understand <laughs> this. <laughs> As to uh, the previous question, you need to be an organization specialist I love the queen group squadron and all with to force all the game to keep you together. <laughs> <laughs> Easy. And coming to us from Facebook, we are from not in... What? What? No, nothing. But except Shiv's being all gangster. So he's like, wrote not nothing. Nothing. Yeah. Dog? Okay. What would you do oh, for damn. a Klondike bar? Give us a hug, probably. <laughs> I have no idea because I'm a Brit. You don't have Klondike no, bars. What is, a, what is a Klondike bar? Enlighten me. It's, uh, it's well, delicious. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's vanilla ice cream wrapped in a, a thick chocolate shell. Oh, jeez. Why do we not have these? I don't know. Actually, it's probably classified uh, uh, strategic weaponry of the United States. Okay. Take well, <laughs> take us out, Lennon. Hurry up. God, what are you doing? Ding, 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 ding. I'll start beatboxing if you're not careful. <laughs> In this week's Squawk Box, we find out what you are all flying around in 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 in, in the verse. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs>